Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Nick Loper. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Uh, for, for many of us, you know, myself included, the reality is that we often need to start our first business, as I did, as a side hustle, something you do on the side while you keep your day job, a business that starts on the side while you keep that, that career or that day job going. Maybe you have a partner, whatever the case might be. And so Nick is an expert on this approach, and he's with me today to share his experiences and advice on starting a successful side hustle business. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show by receiving exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowabusiness.com. So Nick Loper uh, helps people earn money outside of their day job. He's an author, an online entrepreneur, and the host of the award-winning show, podcast show, Side Hustle Show Podcast, the Side Hustle Show Podcast, which features new part-time business ideas each week as Chief Side Hustler at SideHustleNation.com. He loves deconstructing the tactics and strategies behind building extra income streams. Nick uh, recently moved to Sammamish, California. No, Washington, right? Washington, yep. Yeah, not, not California. We recently moved from California to Washington. And so once again, Nick Loper, welcome to my show. You bet. Thanks for having me. We did the trendy uh, pandemic thing, which was to leave ah, California. I see, I see, I see. Everybody's moving everywhere. Lovely part of of, uh, of the area. It, it, I had a friend, as I mentioned before we started recording, to live there. Uh, how? What kind of weather do you get there typically? I know I'm sure everybody asks you that question. Oh, my God. You know, the rain didn't bother me so much in January, but when it was still raining in June, I was like, yeah. oh, come on, guys. But it's uh, finally starting to be summer, and we yeah. intended to take full advantage of it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful country there. It's, but the rain and the overcast would, would affect my, my mood. There's no doubt. Right. But it's beautiful. Anyway, let's get into it. I, I'm hoping you can give me, as I like to start with, just a brief summary of your early career in the corporate world, I believe, after college. Yeah, I did what you're supposed to do. Got a, a corporate job, worked there for three years um, at the bottom rung of the Ford Motor Company corporate ladder, hmm. which was, I, I don't know, the car business is a fascinating business. It's been around forever. It's pretty cool. Uh, but had very little desire to climb that corporate ladder. So I was looking for a way out. And that was, um, in my case, my original side hustle was a footwear comparison shopping site that worked on an affiliate model where we bring in the catalogs from Zappos, Amazon, um, shoes.com. I mean, there was a bunch of other like uh, online footwear retailers. We tell you where you can find the best price on your next pair of shoes and earn an affiliate commission or referral sales commission uh, for every sale that the site generated. And was there a reason in particular why shoes, why footwear? Why shoes? So a couple of reasons. First was I had an internship with one of these uh, online retailers in college in Seattle. And, you know, it was this old, you know, family run brick and mortar shoe store that in the early days of the internet, they had this kind of wild and crazy idea. What, what would happen if we put some of our inventory up online? Would anybody mm. buy it? So by the time I came on board as their marketing intern several years later, that side of the business had 
grown way faster than you know their single location brick and mortar store. So that was my first exposure to um, pay-per-click advertising and SEO and affiliate marketing and e-commerce, like all of these skills ended up being really important. And so after leaving that, it's like, oh, you know, maybe I could, you know, do something in a similar niche on the affiliate side. And then the other piece of the pie was in terms of physical product affiliate commissions, especially at that time, the percentages were pretty high, sometimes between 10 and 20% um, affiliate commissions, which for, you know, a digital product, sometimes you'll see 50% is like, well, the incremental cost is zero, but here, like we're still sending a physical product. We have cost of goods sold. We have logistics expenses. We have storage expenses. It's like, oh, if you can make 15%, it's like, that was pretty good for a physical product. And that allowed me to play in the margin between uh, buying traffic. The site was heavily reliant on paid traffic, search uh, search engine marketing, and what that traffic would ultimately be worth in terms of affiliate conversions. And so what, what year are we talking about that you started this, this side hustle? It started in its very early stages in like 2004, 2005, 2006. Okay. okay. So- did you, when you first started your career in a corporate world, did you have aspirations of someday doing your own thing? That was always in the back of my mind. Like I, you know, I was a decent student in school and I somehow thought that equated to like street smarts and being a way, you ought, you ought to be able to figure out a way out of this. You know, why does the traditional path have you working at some job for 30 years? There's got to be a better way. And so definitely part of that was some you know level of chip on my shoulder. Like, yeah, you ought to be able to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And then Secondly, I was bit by the entrepreneurial bug very early on in college and maybe even before that, but especially in college where I had this house painting internship where, you know, they would assign you a a territory. I don't know if they have them in Florida, but it was uh, college works painting. In my case, there's student painters and college pro. There's a handful of these outfits and they say, here's your territory. It's your job to go out and paint as many houses as you can. And we'll teach you how to estimate a job and how to hopefully get this stuff done without wrecking people's homes. <laughs> but that was like my first taste of you know, working for profits and not wages and really you know, kind of calling the shots and being yeah. responsible for what happens, good or bad, and having to fix problem as, as they came up and hiring and firing and you know, making your sales goals. It was, it was really powerful. And Probably like there's a uh, at the end of the summer the company posts on their you know internal blog, you know, if you made it this far, we probably ruined your life. That was the headline <laughs> of this post. You know, so I click on this and it's like, you know, you've you've had a taste, like you've you've seen the dark side, like there's no going back. And it's like, yeah, that was that, that was pretty true. much true. Yeah, there's no doubt. Did you have influences in your family or circle of people early on in life that were entrepreneurs or business owners? My dad jokes that it skips a generation. So his father was an entrepreneur, but he worked his whole career at one company. So it must skip a generation. But that said, always very encouraging for, you know, entrepreneurial pursuits. And even even if he thinks this is like the dumbest idea in the world, like, oh, you're going to go buy a rental house? Like, how does that pencil out? You know, he's like, you have no income. You're, You're a college student. Like, okay, you know, just kind of like, you know, freedom, you know, a long leash, freedom to make mistakes in some ways, which I think was helpful and encouraging early on. Like, well, you know, when I was a lot of, when I was your age, I cut grass (laughs) or I, you know, I went, I mowed lawns, made 20 bucks, you know? Okay. You know, so trying to figure out, you know, where does money come from being really intentional and conscious about spending it and trying to figure out a, a different path rather than just having it handed to you. 
Do you think that the, ex- the corporate experience first was valuable, necessary? Certainly that experience that you got being an intern and learning about online marketing was invaluable, right? Yeah, absolutely. Would you do it any differently as far as out of college, go start your first business or continue as you did get some experience in the corporate world and leverage that knowledge? Yeah, I probably waited longer to leave the day job than I needed to, but it was always, I mean, it was, you know, you, you went to school, you got this degree, you're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to use it. That was kind of like the prescribed path. And so it was still difficult to make that leap, even though I had a track record of revenue from the side business to say, uh, you know, worst case scenario, I can cover my expenses, you know, and with an extra 40, 50 hours a week to dedicate to it, I'm reasonably confident it can grow, but you still have that self-doubt. Can, yeah. I, can it really cut my own paycheck? Am I allowed to do this thing? Like we're kind of taught to be uh, almost reliant on somebody else. So it, it still felt like a risk to go out and say like, nope, I'm going to be on my own. Yeah. How long have you been on your own? Have you been, you know, full-time business owner? Uh, we're coming up on 14 years. Actually, next week is my 14-year wow. um, quitiversary, I guess. <laughs> it's like every year that goes by, like more and more confident, like, okay, I'm not going to have to go back. Yeah, I can figure it out. I can figure out what's next. What What does it do for you most? What, what do you get the most out of being your own boss? I mean, the biggest point of joy and pride for me is being in charge of my own schedule. And that means being able to take off on a Wednesday afternoon and go skiing or go mountain biking, or, you know, just go hang out at the lake, you know, take advantage of the summer when it's nice and not have to ask somebody else for permission for that time off. And my old boss was never, he was never the guy that said, no, I I need your butt in the seat, you know, from this time to this time. Mm. Like it, it just felt I don't know, humiliating in a way to have to ask and like not be in control of my own schedule. Yeah, that resonates so much with me. That was such a big deal for me and such a value. You know, it's more valuable. That is even more valuable than the potential money. Like I've made decisions that would keep me probably from making more money to continue having that flexibility. Yeah, that's been a kind of a recent reframe of, you know, with every new project or every new decision, does it add complexity or does it make things simpler? And if it adds complexity, like, is that really going to be worth it? You have right. to weigh those different, exactly. uh, different pros and cons. Exactly. Very, very well said. All right, let, let's get into it. I'd like to start with having you give me your definition of what is a side hustle. You bet. So a side hustle, broadly speaking, is anything you're doing outside of your day job to earn extra money. And in, you know, in previous generations, this was you know, moonlighting. So this is kind of like just the millennial rebrand of something that's been around for a long time. The difference between a side hustle and just a second job, you know, bartending, delivering pizzas, is there's this entrepreneurial connotation that there's some upside potential here. There's potential for scale. There's potential to kind of decouple your earning power from the hours that you put in. And maybe that means, you know, doing the speculative work upfront, like, like any type of business that you're starting, you're probably not getting paid. Or if you are getting paid, it would be so far below minimum wage. It wouldn't even be funny but you can kind of see where this might be able to go. And maybe this ends up having a little bit more time leverage down the road. Do you, in your experience, do you find that most people start a side hustle as you're defining it with the idea that that eventually becomes their full-time thing, or is it just the, the moonlighting aspect of it? What, what would you say the, the breakdown is roughly speaking? That was my 
hypothesis early on. Like, why would anybody want to work a corporate job when there's this perfectly green entrepreneurial pasture over right. here? Because that was kind of where I was coming from. But now nine years deep into hosting the side hustle show, I meet plenty of people like, no, I like my job. I'm just looking for something else to scratch that creative itch, to make extra money. Maybe it's pay down debt, or maybe it funds the you know, vacation fund every year, or it's fun money. And so you see people really approaching it from both sides, both from that. I want to, you know, I'm, I want to build my own uh, corporate escape route or my own rat race escape route. Other, you know, and other people are like, look, if I can make an extra 500 bucks, a thousand bucks, like that would be cool. A little bit of breathing room in the budget would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. I, I want to explore what, uh, what you call the three C's. And I, I think that that's kind of the, where you see as the foundation of, of developing something or, or, or trying to create something that's a side hustle. But introduce that, if you would, to three C's. Yeah, you bet. And I was really grateful and probably had the imposter syndrome to talk about this in a 2014 TEDx talk in, right. in Livermore, California. And so the three C's are creation, connection, and contribution. And it starts with this creation piece of, well, what am I going to put out into the world? What is my unique product service uh, content? Like, what is that thing that I am giving birth to that other people might find some value in? The connection piece is that marketing piece. How am I going to get people to pay attention to me? How am I going to get them to care? How am I going to get in front of my target customers? And we covered tons and tons of different, like, I love geeking out on all the marketing stuff. And then the contribution piece is the value add. It's the, well, why is this worth paying for? What what does this add to the world? How does this make your customers' lives better in some meaningful way? My differentiator, if you will, as well, right? That contribution piece. Are you, is your thought that uh, these three C's are what then the foundation that leads to a successful side hustle? Is that the idea here with these three C's and thinking about it that way? It's definitely a framework to run a potential idea through. I so see. you can kind of use it as a litmus test of like, okay, well, how am I going to, uh, how am I going to connect with customers? How, what's, you know, why should they care? You know, what's the overall contribution here? So I think you can kind of, you know, put it through, put your ideas through that test and you, it'll give you, I mean, you could even do a, you know, a weighted decision matrix, you know, score everyone, sure. you know, from one to 10, how easy is this going to be? You know, uh, does this light me up? Uh, is this scalable? And you come up with your, uh, you know, that way you can compare apples to apples if you're weighing multiple potential ideas. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. The one that I struggle with the most is creation. You know, this this thing of this idea, because I think and you'll correct me that, that it ties to this whole thing that often you hear from people, oh, you do something you're passionate about, but, but what if, but what if that's not necessarily the case? I'm just passionate about what it can do for me financially or in other ways. Is, is that okay? It is okay. I think that question of passion is unnecessarily stressful. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if I asked you, you know, what are you passionate about? And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm, Right now, I'm about making some extra money. That's what I'm passionate about. <laughs> yeah, it, it it kind of forces you into thinking about you know hobbies and out. I don't know. It's it's kind of a you don't want to pigeonhole yourself to to be passionate. And and people are passionate about the fun stuff like craft brewing and yoga and skiing and you know gardening. Maybe gardening is, but like you know, it, it might be hard to turn that around and turn that into a business. And if you're passionate about it, 
other people are probably passionate about it too. We had a guest on the show who was very adamant, like under no circumstance will you be allowed to start a business around your passion because when people are <laughs> passionate, they do irrational things like that's work for free. Yeah. Like that's not a that's not a market I want to compete in with people who are passionate and working for free because they just love doing it. Like, no, thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm totally with you there. But approaching it from, you know, what problem can you solve instead? What skills do you have instead? And so for me, like with the shoe business, not a sneakerhead. I was probably my own worst customer. Like I wasn't passionate about the product, but I was passionate and grew passionate over time about the process and the mm -hmm. optimization and making the website uh, convert better and like all of the behind the scenes stuff yeah. that became something that I was very passionate about. Like you love all that stuff. Yeah. And we found that passion tends to follow doing the work mm -hmm. and there's, you know, there's, Cal Newport, you know, be so good. They can't ignore you. There's Dan Pink. Like there's research to back this up that passion follows doing the work. I mean, same thing with painting houses. Like, you know, not, not, wasn't super passionate about painting houses when I started, but by the end of the second summer, even the first summer, you can't help but walk by or walk through a neighborhood and look up under the eaves and, oh, there's a paint job waiting to happen. I'll scrape off some of that peeling paint. I should go come, come by, give these guys an estimate. And it kind of comes from just being in the game. Yeah. Agreed. I do think also in that same TED talk, though, you talk about the importance of being engaged and inspired, though, right? And you believe that's critical to being successful with any business. Tell me about that. I think it's so depressing that, you know, the majority of us go through life with this job to pay the bills that doesn't really light us up. It's just, you know, it's work. It's a means to an end. It's like, well what would the world look like if people actually liked their jobs? I feel right. like it would be such a, a better, happier place to live it. And I, you know, I, I, it would be crazy if we ever hit like hundred percent, you know, engaged and inspired, but I think we could definitely do better than where we're at. So you know, how do, how do we tweak work and reframe it from something that you have to do to something that you get to do and, you know, find those challenges that really hit that sweet spot of, you know, creativity and interests and learning and challenge and excitement. I don't know. That seems that's when I'm having the most fun at work. Yeah, I get it. And, and I see that so much with my, you know, if I look at my circle of friends and so I'm in, I'm 58 as a recording of this, I'm an old guy, but, but so many people that approach this, the end of their careers and they hate what they're doing, but they feel stuck and maybe rightly so maybe they are stuck. I don't know. Uh, easy for me to say, but I can start to see where a side hustle is one way that people can alleviate that to at least have something that you have going on that you are engaged and inspired about. And I think when you have that, it, it permeates or it leaks over into your job as well, I got to think. I think so. I think, you know, running the business on the side made me a better employee. I don't know if my boss would have said so, but like I felt that way because uh, you know, even though I was at the bottom rung of this, you know, giant, you know, hundred year old company, you know, by nights and weekends, I had a in-person in-depth look at profit and loss and where does the revenue come from? Like just the nuts and bolts of understanding the business at a much higher level than I was getting at the day job, but it allowed me to be able to have conversations with these dealer owners and dealer partners to say, oh, that's interesting. You know, look at the you know, margin that you're spending on this versus, I don't know. It just seemed to 
Yeah, some of that knowledge had crossed over. But also you were a more fulfilled person. Therefore, you were just more rounded in that regard. And therefore, I think that makes that can make for a better employee as well. Right. And you don't have and if and if it's easing some of your financial burden, then it eliminates some stress there as well that brings that you can bring to a job. I think so too. Although there's a there's another conversation around employers, you're paying a living wage that doesn't necessitate a side That's hustle. Right. This exactly is, this right. Is, we're talking about voluntary side hustle. Like I do it because I care. I do it because I want to, not because I necessarily need to, to make rent. Yeah. Yeah. No, good, good point. All right. So what are, well, let's, let's touch on this. Let's keep down this, this, this path, this, this balancing. I think the thing that is so challenging, it was for me, my very first business in 1991, although I did have a partner and he managed it full-time, I, I bought an existing local pizza chain delivery franchise location and he ran it. I did everything else at night and on the weekends and I was there Friday night and Saturdays and the whole bit. So that was my version of a side hustle. It was the only way I could do it. it the only, I couldn't afford to leave my day job. Uh, I was making yeah. you know pretty good money and this business wasn't gonna go provide for both of us, at least not initially. That balance, that that was such a hard thing. So talk to me about that. What, what advice do you give people and how did you balance those two things? Balancing the day job and the side hustle? Like yeah, kind of and then the, the, the time and the sacrifices then that are required. Um, that's what I'm talking about there. I want to start with that. I have a couple other questions related to that, but that's where I want to get your thoughts on. Yeah, I know we're talking about the how of business, but I think it's really important to find the why of business to to motivate you through those times when it's like, I why am I spending every weekend doing this other thing, or why am I spending my nights doing this thing when I could be chilling and you know going to the gym or watching Netflix or doing anything else other than this? So starting with that, why why is this important? Why do you want this in your life? What is it ultimately going to afford you? What's the end goal? What's the end game? I think that is what separates a lot of people from, uh, I mean, it's the same thing that separates people who achieve their New Year's resolutions from those who don't, like they didn't sure. want it bad enough, right? Yeah. So I think that's where it starts. And then the consistent element of, you know, moving the ball forward, it's like how to describe that, but, you know, making consistent progress, trying to get 1% better every day versus, you know, you know trying to block out you know, for a lot of these projects, like, well, I'm never going to have this uninterrupted 72 hour block of time to, you know, knock this out, but being right. able to chip away at the things uh, consistently and break, you know, maybe hopefully break down bigger projects into smaller steps that you can tackle in the time that you have allowed. And so prioritizing that and you know, what we found is most people have the most control over what's called the bookends of your days. First thing in the morning, last thing before bed, before you're off in the real world, reacting to other people's agendas, putting out fires. But okay, if I can carve out a little bit of time, maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's a half an hour, first thing in the morning, last thing before, before bed. Like if you do that consistently, I think you'll start to move things forward and, and start to see some meaningful compound effect of those efforts. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it resonates with, with what I what I found, and that's exactly what, what I advise and, and what I had. If it, because if you don't have that strong why, Nick, you will stop doing it. You will quit. You won't get to the stuff you got to get done. It's got to be strong enough. You have to have a clear vision in your mind as to where this is taking you, why it's worth making these sacrifices and investing this time and effort that you said, like you said, I could be doing whatever else. 
It's got to be there. And then that consistent action, a step at a time forward on whatever my path might be. I think that's the other thing that frustrates a lot of people is we want it now, right? And sometimes, especially as a side hustle, it just might take a little longer than you had hoped for. It always takes longer than you hope for. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the consistent thing. Now you're 30 years deep into the pizza thing. Are you still doing that? No, no. I So I ended up having that one unit Then we bought two, two other. Well, actually, we opened one and bought another one. Had those yeah. for most of the 90s. Never could get it to the point where I was able to leave my job. So we had to shut down one that wasn't performing well and sold the other two. So I, I did okay with it. It was, it was what I got from it. It was tremendous learning about yeah. how to run a business. That's what I got from it. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, you know, the why, that consistency, what, what are some other things that separate people who, who have success with the side hustle from those who just talk about it or maybe dabble in it and then quit? What, what are some other characteristics or traits that you see that result in success? The biggest thing that comes to mind is this willingness to take action, even if you don't know the outcome or if you don't know, you know, steps two through 10, it's like, okay, I, I can take the first step, not necessarily knowing where that is going to lead. I think that is really powerful because there are so many guests that I talk to on the side hustle show where the business that they're running today, the one that we're talking about, isn't where they started. You know, it was right. the result of, you know, a pivot and another pivot and another pivot. And it's the same thing, like it, with the pizza business, like, okay, it's a learning experience. If I can position it such that, you know, worst case scenario, I'm not going to lose my shirt on this, but you know, worst case scenario, I learn a lesson, I can pivot it to something else and I can apply what I've learned. I think that willingness to take action and willingness to position things in your mind as an experiment rather than, well, if this flops, then I'm just a horrible failure and I'm never going to take another swing again, like right. kind of position stuff as, uh, as that experiment, give yourself permission to test things out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the beauties of a side hustle is it, it by default, by, by definition, you're going to start small. And that's always, even for people who, who might behave in a position to quit their job and start, we, we often recommend start small, you know, take the MVP approach. And so, but to your point, you and I were chatting a bit about this before we started recording that we, we know plenty of people who have the tendency to, oh, I need more knowledge. Oh, I got to take this next course. Oh, I, I got to go to this next workshop or go to this conference until, and the problem is what you're seeking is for, you're looking for the completely 100% guarantee and that doesn't exist. Yeah, we always have a risk. I have a tendency to do this because I have a tendency to overanalyze things. At some oh, yes. point, you got to do, do your due both. diligence. Yeah, you got to do your due diligence. Yeah, I got to put together my spreadsheet, but then it's at some point, it's a bit of a leap of faith, is it not? It totally. I remember my, my spreadsheet, like for the shoe business, like, well, you know how, I don't even remember what it was, but like, you know, 3 million people search Google for shoes every month or something. Like if I can capture 1% of that traffic and convert, you know, 5% of those, that would be you know this amount of revenue. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I guess it's important to know, well, what's the addressable market that you're realistically going to target. And uh, I don't know. It is important to educate yourself, to do that due diligence and, Maybe more so think of what would success look like? You know, if I fast forward three to five years and I could find somebody who's three to five years ahead of me, what does their life look like? Right. Because okay, they started, they were reasonably reasonably successful. A lot of times we focus on, you know, the fear of failure. What happens if this flops? You know, is this going to be this embarrassment? Is this going to hurt me financially? But you know, and all that's important too, but 
instead look at the flip side. Well, what if it works? A lot of people don't, don't think necessarily of that, or they you know fast forward what, in six months, I'm going to be margaritas on the beach and driving around in my Ferrari. But like, okay, find somebody who's done the thing and say, well, what does their life look like? And would I be happy with that result? And that kind of can also serve as another litmus test or another uh, frame or another lens to evaluate different business ideas saying, yeah. well, what does success look like in each of these? Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. All right. You're, you're in and out of these. You're talking to people every day about these ideas. Are there some, you know, trends or types of side hustles that you're seeing evolving or that, uh, that are worth giving some thought to, you know, we're talking about general categories and, and sub, uh, sub segments. What are your thoughts there? General categories. So I, there's a few business models that I like. One is this idea of taking a fragmented localized business. And by that, I mean, like, there's no dominant, you know, regional and definitely not no national player yep. in this space that, you know, commands a majority market share, right? There's no, you know, brand name that you immediately think of when you think of this service. And so, for example, this week's guest has a nanny agency started in Gainesville and now she's in Tampa. Actually, she's in like five different states now. Uh, what agency? A nanny agent is called nanny, Twinkle nanny. Toes. Okay. Okay. Nanny agency. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And so it was this model of, you know, highly fragmented, you know, lots of individual operators, very few people, um, you know, kind of putting their own level of branding and professionalism on that. But that's what she was able to do and say, look, I have the system of this process. I vet really good nannies. Here's the fixed price. And the companies pay the service, they pay the agency, and then she takes a cut and passes the rest on to the nanny. And it's the same. You've seen people do this in cleaning. We've seen people do this in junk removal, in tour guiding services, um, in, in online as well, like in graphic design or, you know, proofreading, editing, lots of different niches that you can play with this service. But the, you know, we called it the offline agency, but it works online too. And it frees you up to tackle a niche that you don't necessarily have to be the expert technician in. She didn't have to be an expert nanny, though she did have nanny experience. We've seen people do it in house cleaning and window washing, where it's like, no, it wasn't ever about me cleaning the windows. It was never about me doing the graphic design. It was about playing matchmaker. It was like, okay, I can be a better marketer, a better administrator. So I really like that model of uh, trying to put a branding layer on top of a fragmented local business and kind of becoming the easy to do business with modern solution for those types of home services. Cause I think a lot of those are growing in yeah. demand, for, especially yeah, with millennial homeowner. Like, I don't want to be bothered with this stuff. I'm so pressed for time as it is. I just, you know, let somebody else handle it. So that's sure. one that I like. Yep. Yeah, no. And, and what I love about those examples is it seems to me like everybody thinks it's all about e-commerce, that that's the only side hustle that, that makes sense. Right. Um, but, but I find well, that that's one of the hardest things to do. Amazon has been at the center of a lot of side hustles over the last decade Yep. from uh, Amazon associates to Amazon, you know, FBA that's fulfillment by Amazon and in all of the different flavors underneath that, where it's wholesale or retail arbitrage or online arbitrage or private labeling, or there's a lot of different flavors of that. We've seen self-publishing and, Audible and you know, print-on-demand paperbacks and low-content publishing and public-domain publishing and <laughs> fiction and nonfiction and uh, you know print-on-demand like merch, merch by Amazon, uh, print-on-demand products. So they've definitely been at the center 
of a lot of different businesses. Oh, I can make an Alexa skill and you know have that go out into people's homes. Um, so that's definitely a trend. But you know, the e-commerce thing is it's challenging, and it's especially when you're dealing with physical products, lower margin, uh, you know, logistics challenges. And so I don't know. My my default, the place where I have spent the most time playing over the last ten, almost almost fifteen years now, is. Uh, is in the content-based businesses where it's blogging, podcasting, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, where if you can, and even like email newsletters, right? Where it takes the same effort to produce a podcast, for example, that 10 people tune into, or if 10,000 people tune into, it's something that has this natural built-in scale and leverage. And so those are types of businesses that I am also excited about and I think are it, it, of course, it's crowded, but it's only going to be more crowded a year from now. So right. if you come at it with a unique angle, I think you can do well in that space too. And then, and then monetizing it through affiliates or sponsorships or your own products or any combination thereof. Absolutely. Once you got people paying attention to you, you got options. You could sell advertising against that, um, against that content, affiliate relationships, your own products and services. Once, once you've got the attention, the the sky really is the limit. All right. So somebody who's starting, starting to get started, wants to get started. What, 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 do, what do they need to start to think about? You know, I've got a corporate job. It, it occupies at least 40 hours of my week, if not more so. Uh, where do you typically recommend people get started to even begin to assess that this makes sense? I, obviously, the, the why is key, right? So what is your why for this? Why are you going to do this? But other than right. that, where, where do you usually help them start? So one exercise that you can do is, you know, keep a notes app on your phone and I call it the what sucks app or, you know, what sucks note file. And in that file for the next week or two weeks, you are just writing down everything that sucks, everything that bothers you, everything that is annoying, everything that other people complain to you about, because it's easier to sell pain pills than it is to sell vitamins. It's easier to start a business around a pain or a problem, that's what we're spending money to make go away, make this pain go away. Because um, on the other side of those pains and problems are potential business ideas. Well, what would the solution look like? And you can have those, even have those conversations with people who are doing the complaining. Well, what would the solution look like? You know, if you had a magic wand, you know, how would you make that go away? Well, you know, what would that be worth to you? You can ask those types of questions and you start, the gears will start turning as to potential business ideas. Now, the answer usually takes one of three forms. It's uh, a product, like a physical product or digital product to solve that problem. It's a service, like just make this problem go away. And we can look at it through the lens of a dirty house as a potential pain, right? Like I can buy the latest Swiffer mop or robot vacuum or whatever it is, physical product. I can hire a cleaning service. And then the third business model that is the most common is this content, online content-based business. I can go watch the home edit or I can watch you know, these decluttering videos on YouTube or something. There's a content solution to this problem too. So if you start with those pains and then think, okay, what is the solution or what is going to be my version of the solution that I can offer? And it's usually going to take one of those three forms. Mm-hmm. And then it's off to find off to the races. See if you can find the first people to follow you or to be your customers and, and validate it with some real dollars. Yeah. Brilliance. Brilliance. Yeah. That's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, again, as we talked about the, the whole idea of the side hustle is you can start very, very small, very niched as niche as possible. In fact, if you could then combine it, what you talked about later, finding that for there's a fragmented 
opportunity in your in your local market, then that's huge. But one of the biggest mistakes I see, Nick, and get like to get your quick thoughts on that, going back to the e-commerce model, is people, I don't know, people just get delusional and think, oh, I'm going to put up a site, a website, and I'm going to sell this thing. I'm talking about now more products that I'm going to sell online. And somehow people are just going to magically find me. Yeah. I, it's it's go, almost go like we don't com. realize that we're a needle in a haystack and we don't have the budget to get found, most of us, right? Yeah. One of the most common side hustle success strategies, and this goes across e-commerce and other businesses too, is what I call the buy buttons theory or the buy buttons strategy is trying to find the marketplace marketplace or marketplaces where your target customers are already doing business. Go where the cash is already flowing. Maybe it's Amazon, maybe it's eBay, yeah. maybe it's... Uh, you know, Apple podcast, right? How can I shrink the internet? So it's just my people. Maybe it's Fiverr, maybe it's Upwork, maybe it's handy.com. Maybe it's, you know, all these, little, maybe it's Rover. Maybe it's- So leverage uh, those platforms that already at least have an audience and I have a better chance yeah. there, yeah? Yeah, especially especially when you're just getting started because, yeah. you know, like you said, needle in the haystack, if you just put up your thing and say, oh, you know, why, why is no, why is the phone not ringing? Why is right. nobody calling me? But even, I mean, I could put up a shop on Etsy and it's still I'm one of, I don't know how many millions now, it's, but you're saying yes. at least that narrows down the, the scope of the arena that I'm playing in. Yes. And there's already a built-in level of trust in terms of you know, conversion optimization that Etsy has done on your behalf. So yes, it's a much it's still a big, it's still a big sea to swim in, but it is a smaller sea than the internet in general. Yeah. I want to go back. I want to backtrack for a moment about the balancing between, you know, my job and then a side hustle and specifically on this point, I, and I learned this lesson the hard way. So I got burned early on when I started doing the pizza business on the side, I, I guess I told everybody at work about it. And that was a mistake. And it was a mistake Nick, because it created of nothing else, a perception that I wasn't as committed to the business. And while, you know, especially nowadays, most companies will tell you, well, we want you to strike a balance. I find that to be BS, right? Uh, <laughs> it, it, immediately, it's like, well, what conflict? Are you going to still have the same energy? Are you still going to be as available? Does this mean you're going to leave? So my rule is I keep that to myself. What's your thought on that? Meaning at That's work. A good question. Meaning at work, right? I mean. Yeah. No, you're, no, you're right. There's the perception that you're going to be a more disloyal employee. Like, well, are, are we not paying you enough? Why do you need to do this? Um, it, it's because it's because side hustling has become more prevalent and more common over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, like more and more employers are sympathetic to that and understanding of that. And some, That's some true. workplaces even encourage it. Like, Oh, That's true. if you want, you, you know, you can use our software to build their business, right? They, they actively encourage it, but other more old school uh, workplaces are kind of a little more shy about that. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like I, you don't need to shout it from the rooftops. You kind of can keep it on the down low until you have a little bit, maybe a critical mass where you're like, okay, I'm reasonably established in this thing. Because we, I think we've all had the friend who, you know, jumps from business to business to business or network marketing uh, company <laughs> to network marketing company, right. or, you know, and this month they're selling pots and pans and the next month it's, you know, jewelry. And then that kind of wears on you and, you know, people start to take it a little less seriously and they kind of roll their eyes. So keep it on the down low, I think is a reasonable strategy for, you know, in the early days until you have some traction. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. 
All right. Tell us uh, more about the show, Side Hustle, uh, the Side Hustle Show podcast, and also about SideHustleNation.com. Absolutely. So um, we've been doing the Side Hustle Show since 2013, new part-time business ideas (laughs) every week, over 500 episodes. It is absolutely the highlight of my week, sitting down with entrepreneurs to learn, hey, Where'd you come up with that idea? How'd you get your first customers? What would you do differently? I love all of that stuff. It was exciting then. It's still exciting now. So you can find the Side Hustle Show in you know, your favorite podcast app. SideHustleNation.com slash ideas is another good place to start. This is my totally free, no opt-in required laundry list of part-time business ideas. My goal is for you to have five or 10 browser tabs open by the time you get down to the bottom. Like, oh, I want to learn more about that. Or that sounds interesting. Just mm-hmm. to get those creative juices flowing. Excellent. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. We'll have links to that on the show notes page as well for this episode. All right. Always looking for a book recommendation. You're an author of seven books, I think it is, including The Side Hustle, How to Turn Your Spare Time into $1,000 a Month or More. And I think one of the most recent one is $1,000, 100 Ways, How Real People Make Real Money on the Side and How You Can Too. Those are just two of Nick's books. But is there a, a, another book that comes to mind that uh, you would recommend? So many, so many. I'm always reading <laughs> different stuff. Um, That's what I figured. One of, the, one of the more interesting ones recently is called The Gap and the Gain. And this was Dan Sullivan, I want to say, is the oh, okay. author with, yeah. uh, with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And it talks about how, as Americans, we're kind of... Um, ingrained in us is this life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? You know, from the very founding documents of the country, you know, happiness is this ideal to be pursued, but likely, you know, it's that carrot that's always just out of reach. Mm. And so what the authors propose is to kind of flip the script and measure backwards, they call it like measure, not you know, where you want to go, because you're always focused, well, I, you know, I want to have a million dollar business, or, you know, if I, if I only could make this amount of money, or if I could only, you know, achieve this thing, it's always like, and the goalposts keep moving. And so yeah. what they recommend instead is to measure backwards, measure against where you were yesterday, a year ago, five years ago, and live in that gain rather than in permanently in gap mode. So that's why it's called the gap and the gain. And so I thought, you know, that was an interesting reframe. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's brilliant. I've, I've, I'm quite a fan of Sullivan and all the other stuff that he's written. And I've, my business partner, David, was part of Strategic Coach as well. It's a great organization. Okay. But, but that is such a great point, especially as small business owners, because it was one of the reasons I started my show, Nick, is that we get bombarded by these unicorns, these outliers. And so we compare ourselves externally, and that's how we measure success, right? But really, success is what progress have we made in our individual path in life, isn't it? Yeah, and remember uh, growing up and being on the swim team and being discouraged about losing these races and then having to have my dad point out to me, like, look, ignore the other lanes. You're really only racing against yourself. You know, Good what point. was your time from two weeks ago? What was your time from a month ago? Okay, if you're beating that, then you got to be happy. You know, don't worry about winning per se, but win against your past self. Well said. All right, we'll wrap it up, Nick. What's, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we had about starting your side hustle? Oh my goodness. Well, thanks so much for having me. I think one of the big takeaways that I want to drive home is this idea of leverage. So Warren Buffett has left us with this quote of, you know, if you don't find a way to make money in your sleep, you're going to work until you die. Mm. And it hits you. And I don't think anybody 
necessarily want to work until they die, or they want to at least have the option to scale back. And so trying to find a business model with some level of leverage, that's not necessarily trading time for money, or if you are trading time for money, it's trading time for a lot of money and trying to build that into, build that scale, build that leverage into the business uh, from the get-go. And so like we talked about that, you know, three to five year success vision and asking yourself, well, what if it works? And if it does, am I happy with that outcome? Yeah. And that, that philosophy or approach is also back to the early point you made different than thinking of this as a, a moonlighting gig or a second job. This is about ideally uh, you build something that is leverageable. That is more than just you trading more dollars for hours. Right. Build some assets and have some ownership. Tell us where you want us to go online again to learn more. Yeah, of course. We'd love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show and your favorite app. And then again, sidehustlenation.com slash ideas is where you can find that big list uh, to get the creative juices flowing. Wonderful, Nick. Great conversation. Uh, hopefully you get to get you back on in the future. Thanks for taking the time to share and to be with me today. You bet. Thanks for having me. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Nick Loper. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find my show as well anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.